And happy Easter. This is the seventh Sunday of Easter, and this coming Sunday, uh, this next Sunday, I should say, is the Feast of Pentecost, where we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit. Fingerprints are nothing new. The delicate swirls, ridges, and patterns that lie at the tips of our fingers have been recognized as a form of personal identification. In China, as early as 246 B.C., fingerprints were used to sign legal contracts. And now the security for our phones and iPads are with our fingerprint or our face. Science has revealed other ways that we are unique as well. Our DNA is our own. Each cell of our body is genetically coded for us. High-tech gadgetry has made it possible for us now to open sealed doors just by looking at them with our retina scanner because the shape, the diameter, and the surface bumps of our eyes is completely unique to us. Okay, if you happen to have an x-ray of your skull lying around, check out the shape of your nasal uh, sinuses because those two are unique to every person. Who would have thunk? God made us in so many ways, utterly and thoroughly different from one another. Yet, as Jesus offered up to the prayer, his own pers- his prayer to the Father, he, he closes by um, praying for oneness among all those who follow him as his disciples. So, does this mean that Jesus prays for all of us to be identical? Is this a call for cloned Christians? A franchised faith? A monotone people and mission? Is every follower of Jesus expected to keep the same pace, have the same stride, move to the same rhythm, look, smell, and dress the same? Are we to have the same gifts? Just think about this. If we were all a mouth, or the nose, or an eye, or an ear, or the brain, or the heart, or fingers, or the feet, I'll stop at that for illustrations. But all of the parts of the body of Christ is unique and it's needed. When Jesus prayed for oneness, he was not just looking around the Passover table at the 12 individuals. Yes, Jesus was praying for those who had followed him for the past three years, but he was also praying for the next generation and beyond for all future generations until the end of time. He was praying for us. He was praying that his church, the people who follow him, are one. So when the risen Christ appeared to Saul and started him on the journey to reach the Gentiles, Jesus wasn't thinking people who look, act, and think the same. Gentiles, Samaritans, women and men of questionable morals, tax collectors, Roman soldiers, these were the focus of Jesus' earthly ministry and the mission field for all who would follow him. So Jesus speaks a lot about reaching the least, the last, the lost, the left outs in order that they might see, hear, and respond to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. So basically, the gospel is for all people, for all cultures, and for all times. So what kind of unity could possibly bring all of these outsiders on the edgers and on the margins together into a new oneness? It is certainly not unity of cultures or styles or gifts, so what kind of unity is it? So the oneness that Jesus prayed for is a oneness of heart and a oneness of love that I would like to call love marks, and I'm not talking about hickeys. Yes, I did. I I did say it. But I just wanted to be clear. 
Oneness for Jesus is a mark of love on hearts that have experienced the truth that God sent His Son into the world so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Now, did you hear that? Hear those words? The love which united Father and Son is the love that the Son then passes on to each one who trusts and lives in and fashions their lives around Jesus. So our love grows, it expands, it encompasses, it envelops. Love never has to be rationed. On the contrary, love must be overspent, overextended, overdrawn all the time. For that is the only way it can grow. Love is almost like manna. It cannot be hoarded and set aside for some future date. We are constantly lifting our hands up to receive the love of God. And we're constantly lifting our hands out, reaching our hands out to share that love with others. So our own individual portions of love must be used up in full every day. If we follow that prescription, the more that we use it, the more it grows, then we are guaranteed an inexhaustible resource of love for our entire life. The mark of love is the unity of the body of Jesus Christ, the unity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as they are poured out into the hearts of every disciple. So that is the subject of Jesus' final prayer, that Jesus was not praying that believers become doormats, accommodating to everyone, everything, every idea, nor to compromise truth and what is right, all in the name of some kind of wishy-washy love principle. It has always been the heart of the church to keep the essentials of the faith essentials, non-compromising fundamentals of the faith centered around the Trinity, the person and the work of Jesus Christ, and that includes the resurrection of Jesus, and that He is the only way to the Father. He's the truth and the authority of the Word of God. So when, when one starts compromising these fundamental core theological beliefs of church history and faith that has been passed down from the apostles, they become apostate. We can't be one with those who deny the core theological tenets to the orthodox faith. However, there are plenty of secondary doctrines where we should provide generosity. And for those who deny the core tenets of the apostolic faith, they might be apostate, but they aren't our enemy. We are still called to love, though we would understand them as needing to hear and to respond to the gospel of truth. So what Jesus does expect is that his, his disciples incarnate his love marked body in this world. The love of the Father for the Son and the love of the Son for all of his disciples is the love mark of the church. And through the ongoing power of the Holy Spirit, the church integrates each new generation of followers and becomes the new presence of the Son, the incarnate body of Christ on earth. So why do so many churches resemble cage fights more than loving faith communities? Well, I'm glad you asked. There are denominational battles galore. These battles are fierce and they're hard fought. The internet has fertilized both life-sustaining crops and life-sucking weeds. Google any church, Google any Christian leader, and we will get a blessing and a curse. Sometimes it seems as if the body of Christ has been infected with a flesh-eating virus intent upon consuming its own flesh and cannibalizing itself. But here is something to think and pray about. Does our thoughts, mouth, 
an attitude, display a flesh-eating virus that is consuming, eating away, or dividing its own living community, or said a different way, are we cannibalizing ourselves? So why are body of Christ battles now so bloody? Why are we known more for our bloody wounds or scars than our marks of love? The body of Christ is relational. It's, it's organic and it's more like an organi- organism. Yes, we do have legal things that we have to adhere to required by the government and this is understandable. We do have institutional things that we need to adhere to. I used to think of the word institutional as a nasty, dirty word when we talked about the body of Christ. But there are some essential things to the institution that we need to understand and respect and adhere to. But we are more of an organism more than we are an institution. But for the last seven-ish years that I've been here at All Saints, we're trying to move from pure business in our vestry to ministry. We still have to vote. We still have to keep records. But ministry and mission is our first priority. Our vestry gathering is much more than a business meeting. However, first and foremost, we need to be reminded that the church is a living, relational, organic, and growing organism. We are a living, breathing body that must work together in love to sustain our life, to, to ensure our future, and to leave love marks on the world. A body is run by internal organs which sustain and support each other. Every organ looks different. Every organ works differently. Every organ takes on different challenges. The heart pumps blood, but they cannot filter it. Liver, uh, livers uh, filter blood, but they cannot provide oxygen. Lungs suck in air, but they cannot provide food. Stomachs and intestines turn raw organic material into, into fuel for the body. But if we are a follower of Jesus Christ, we're a Christian, we are all part of the body of Christ. But, but both extremely small and countless differences will always make each of us an unrepeatable and irreplaceable expression of God's love and grace. We are bound together as one body by love. However, we work and we play individually, communally, and uniquely to make that love manifest in the world in which we live. John 17 verse 20 says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. So this includes all, you and me, those who went before and those coming after. This is the universal church, and I believe in the one holy Catholic, which means universal and apostolic church, and believe, as Jesus said in verse 21, that we all may be one. This unity together as followers and believers can only happen through the Father and the Son and the work and the presence and power of the Holy Spirit because they are one. And us being one together and with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit will convince the world that God sent Jesus. And likewise, since we have been sent as well, this love and unity together through the Son will also convince the world. You know, I don't know if you've noticed some of the themes that, can, that are um, consistent throughout this Easter season. So how well is the world convinced? Are we convincing the world? Does our unity and love together at All Saints convince the world? What is our track record? Does our unity with and love for the body of Christ universal convince the world? 
Does our unity and love with God convince the world or do they see a flesh-eating disease or cannibalism? So what is the result of this unity and mark of love? And this is what the Scripture says, that the world will see and know that this kind of human community, united across all traditional barriers of race, custom, gender, or class, can only come from the action of God so that the world my belief. We will not all agree. We will often agree to disagree. We have diversity in the body of Jesus Christ, but we must be careful not to allow our disagreements to cause judgmentalism and accusations, bitterness and unforgiveness, or division. However, we can still love and we can all have unity. It requires a lot of repenting of our own sins and forgiving one another, and at times agreeing to disagree but respecting our differences and loving anyway. Remember, in the essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, liberty, which means freedom. But in all things, love. I'm going to say that again. In the essentials, what? Unity. In the non-essentials, liberty. In all things, love. So as in any human relationship, unity and love cannot be forced. There can be no bullying, no manipulation. But in a divided world where divisions have often run down so-called religious lines, there is no excuse for Christians not to respect, work together in new ways, and love each other. I hope you haven't been thinking about how this applies to somebody else in our community here this morning. This applies to me. Let's say that together. This applies to me. And if we listen to the Holy Spirit speak to us and we respond in obedience to Him, we will live within this beautiful story of God who desires and prays for unity in His body, the body of Christ who leaves love marks in Belmont Heights, Long Beach, the surrounding cities, California, the United States, and all around the world. What kind of love mark are we going to leave this week? Our reading in Acts regarding the story of Paul and Silas, we, we will see uh, and, and learn how to practice our faith in difficult circumstances. The worshipful posture of the prisoners suggests that they are not defeated by arrest and flogging. Prayer and hymns seem out of place in such a horrible situation like this. However, their praise with the other prisoners listening in shakes the very foundation of the prison. Doors are opened and chains are unfastened. All the prisoners, including Paul and Silas, are set free. And the work of the Holy Spirit brings freedom to all who are captive. Where the rubber meets the road to our discipleship is not how many books we've read, how many Bible studies or discipleship groups we attend, how much knowledge we have in the Scriptures, but how well we serve and love our immediate family, our church family, our co-workers, our neighbors, the least, the last, the lost, the left out, marginalize everyone that the Lord brings into our paths. John is grabbing our attention in the close of the book of Revelation saying, pay attention, this is important. Listen hard, keep awake, because I'm coming soon. As I was sitting at Starbucks this week, working and putting this sermon together, I was thinking about how this really... Um, applies to our sanctus bells 
And, and one of the reasons of the use of the sanctus bowels is to say, hey, pay attention. There's something important going on here. And that's exactly what's happening as, uh, as John is finishing this, the book of Revelation. He's saying, pay attention. Listen. This is important. And we continue this mission of Jesus Christ to live in unity with Him and one another and, and love and serve Him and one another until He comes again. We have this liturgical response between Jesus and His bride. The Spirit and the bride say, Come. It is the Spirit that enables the bride to be the bride. It is the Spirit that enables the martyrs to keep up their courage and bear true witness. It is the Spirit that inspires the great shouts and songs of praise. It's the Spirit that goes out from God's throne and breathing into and then through the hearts, minds, and lives of people of every tribe and nation and tongue and returns in praise to the Father and to the Lamb. This is as Trinitarian as it gets. And the bride is caught up in that inner divine life so that when she says, come, we can't tell whether this is the Spirit speaking or the bride speaking because the answer is yes, it's both. Come to the waters. There is still time. Come and take the water of life freely. He will go on inviting and welcoming and pouring out the water of life for all who are thirsty. And the Spirit awakens in one and another, in the church, in the war zone, in the throne room, in the island of exile, in the hearts of men and women, in the dreams of little children, even in the bishop's bench, in the scholarly study, the prayers, the cry, the songs, the hope, the love. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And the letter closes as it should with a blessing. Have you ever picked up on that before? I mean, the very end of the Bible. Now, I'm not talking about the maps. I'm talking about the end of uh, Revelation. It says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. But as a church, and as the work of the church making love marks wherever it goes, we wait and we say together, come Lord Jesus. We long for the fullness of the kingdom of God to be complete and to be final. And the church says together, Amen. Amen.